Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your usual host, Jacob Granger. Journalism.co.uk is a news website for journalists, but we also organise a journalism conference twice a year called News Rewired. There we bring together the most important topics facing the news industry and some of the very best thought leaders and experts on those subjects. Our next event has crept up on us rather quickly and it's happening next week on the 15th of November at Reuters HQ in London. We have just a handful of tickets left, so if you want to secure your place, head over to newsrewired.com. On the day, we'll be exploring panels on nailing your subscription pitch, creating compelling climate reporting and perfecting news podcasts. There'll also be hands-on workshops to guide you through getting started with generative AI, supporting mental health in the newsroom and creating engaged communities. We're also very excited to have a keynote speech from a world-renowned strategy expert, Lucy Kung, mapping the major leadership battles ahead. But more than anything, our events don't just give you the latest knowledge to take back to your newsroom. Newsrewind is a community that takes great pride in fostering new connections in the industry. But you don't have to take my word for it. Today, we're looking back at our last Newsrewind in May, the main challenges facing our attendees, very much your peers, journalists, editors, other media professionals, and what they learned on the day. Stay tuned as our guest host, Kemi Dupont, works the room and explores the key takeaways. Our focus begins around the need for sustainable, ethical and quality-driven newsrooms. This is far from a new challenge for publishers. Indeed, the questions of whether quality journalism is sustainable has been around for years. The shift, partly created by social media platforms to a mass production of content, some of it journalism, has corresponded with a loss of trust in the media. Why talk about it now then? Well, because the industry, its tools and the audiences have evolved massively recently. One participant summarised it in under 10 seconds. I think it's maintaining moral integrity while still actually keeping a marketable model of business that is going to be able to allow you to expand whilst at no point upsetting or damaging the trust that your readers have. That was Matt Payton, head of SEO and planning at the Financial Times. In March this year, the FT hit a big milestone with 1 million paying digital subscribers, half of which are based outside the UK. This comes after a decade of digital transformation. The cookie-less future looms large and news companies need to think about collecting their own first-party data from online readers. But readers are also increasingly guarded of their data and news companies may therefore tread lightly. There's a lot at stake. They risk damaging the precious relationship they have cultivated. Here's Matt Payton on the subject again. We write about right to privacy, that's, and that's becoming an increasing issue, and yet we also need to make money. The FT isn't the alone, FT isn't in, alone adjusting, in adjusting its balancing, balancing act. act. Sarah Marshall, Global Executive Director of Audience Development, Social Media and Analytics for Vogue at Condé Nast, talked about the importance of hooking readers in with your content and nudging them toward email registration sign-ups. So my job is about audience development and it's about growing the right kind of audiences for our site. So for Vogue, that's getting enough people to come to our sites um, to deliver the advertising. 
and also to make people want to come back and log in and register and log in so that we can ultimately also drive consumer revenue as well. What Sarah explains here is that for Vogue and Condé Nast, it's not just about increasing their paid print subscription, it's also about leveraging loyal digital users, converting them into newsletter subscribers, Vogue UK over five, to create extra revenue streams. And that strategy seems to pay off for Condé Nast at least. In February this year, the group announced they had turned a profit in 2021 for the first time in years. You guessed it, they credited their digital revenue growth alongside a global organization for their success. Paul Herman, fellow at the Reuters Institute and managing editor for Adspace Studio, narrows the issue even further. Um, it was really eye-opening to see that even within your own organization, the different departments will want different things with regards to data. And also with all the looming changes happening soon, um, uh, Newsrooms and news publishers really need to understand what's going to happen um, with regards to how we continue to track our audience's first-party data. So it's something for all newsrooms to think about and to start developing their strategies. And you want to ensure that all the red data is collected, despite competing interests across different departments. Collaboration is essential, as opposed to separate departments pursuing their own goals individually. That could get very confusing from the reader's point of view, who's unlikely to differentiate between your editorial and marketing efforts. One publication is tackling this challenge head-on, The Nursing Standard, who will be working with FT Strategies to build a new first-party data strategy from scratch. Its editor, Flavia Moon, explains some of the starting points to us. For us, we're, we're looking at... Um building the newer qualified base and um, really work on what that means and what the user and retention journey of that is. The other thing I would say that's really come across for me is um, collaborative working. So that's working across editorial, marketing, commercial and sales teams, which I think all journalists will know has been historically difficult. And um, yeah, and, and we're certainly um, the, the same in, in our um, companies. So, yeah, more collaborative working would be good. The rethink of publishers' data strategies logically leads to an industry-wide conversation about privacy. There's indeed an imperative to find a balance between the need to leverage revenue from loyal audiences and their first-party data and keeping media organisations ethical. Some digital publishers like Insider Inc., Future PLC or Vox Media have built businesses from their first-party data, offering the audiences in a way to advertisers all the while complying with data protection laws. That tension is something that fellow at the Reuters Institute and editorial developer at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, Simon Elvery, is concerned about. One of the most challenging things is also, for journalism, is also a challenge for society and something that journalism should be covering, which is... Um, data security and privacy in big platforms, um, which we had a session on this morning, obviously. Um, uh, you know, I think that and climate change are probably two of the things that journalism really needs to be focusing on. And um, it just so happens that one of them is, is specifically a challenge for journalism itself. During our conversation, 
Sarah Marshall from Vogue tells me that around 83% of their global audience comes from Facebook and Google platforms, including Google searches, Google Discover, a highly personalized feed, and meta platforms. That's Instagram and Facebook. The relationship with these platforms can be complicated, she says, as they're often referred to as frenemies of the publishing world. There's a great article published in the Columbia Journalism Review in 2015 by academic and journalist Emily Bell, who warns us about adapting our content to our works on these platforms. This only increases our dependency on them as we rely on these platforms for revenue, traffic, audience discovery, without knowing much about the inner workings of their systems and algorithms. Add to this the tendencies these platforms have to create echo chambers, and you get polarization of views and newsrooms, and lack of trust. Conveniently, that's also the second theme covered with our media leaders. Interestingly, one of the key challenges faced by the media is relatability, according to Vicky Gell, investigative journalist at the Bureau Local, the collaborative investigative journalism network in the UK, and part of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. She was one of the speakers in our panel on polarisation and democracy. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges for journalism is people really not relating to it in the first place. Um, people feeling very disconnected and not trusting journalism and, and what it represents. And I think that is a, a major challenge that all of us are trying to address in our own way. That's part of what the Bureau is aiming to tackle. In 2020, for their Change the Story project, they gathered readers under one roof to understand what they cared about, finding out that stories about marginalised groups in the press centred unfairly on individual responsibility rather than systemic failures, and that communities didn't feel represented by their local papers. What to do then? Well, the Bureau responded by launching People's Newsroom and the People's Manifesto. But other newsrooms also need to address this problem from within. This panel was mentioned by many as bringing interesting perspectives, and it's not the only one. Unsurprisingly, the keynote speech given by Zina Hayem, an award-winning Syrian journalist, provided reality check and a lowdown on how to treat local journalists, especially those in dangerous and traumatic locations. Her talk left many attendees thinking about how to tackle polarisation in their newsrooms and coverage. This is Matt Payton again. Working for an international outlet myself, I think for me, in what I do, it's the use of language and how we use it and how we represent people. Um, and I think that's something that I will be thinking long term. So, practically... This could mean opting to say refugees for displaced Syrians instead of migrants. The term migrants hasn't been used when talking about Ukrainians since the beginning of the Russian invasion this year. It taints the coverage and creates further divisions. So why would you use it for one group and not the other? This is far from the only example of problematic language and lack of objectivity in reporting on these issues. Are the new generation more aware of this matter and more equipped to address it, though? That's what Ping Shum, senior lecturer in journalism at the University of Roehampton, hopes. Here he is, talking about it in the context of his experience at the BBC World Service and working with his journalism students. It is a problem today 
and uh, but just hopefully so more and more the younger generation they probably more aware of it because um, at the moment probably in, we all know in the media landscape so 50% of those um, in the management role they're probably a white male Oxbridge so they were less um, uh, say, um, aware of this issue so hopefully in the future the future generations to be more aware of that so let's recap giving bylines to local journalists who know more about the issue increasing representation of marginalized communities in the story we cover and ensuring the language we use avoids further polarization to me this screams diversity issue and i'm not the only one to think so throughout the day experts in panels or amongst the audience brought up diversity as a problem diversity of age socioeconomic background ethnicity or nationality were mentioned to which we can add many more just as equal importance To paraphrase keynote speaker Zina Hayem, journalists from marginalized communities may not always be objective, but their cultural and contextual understanding is crucial to getting the story right. The relevance of media organizations is another theme running in the background. With the rise of polarization and breakdown of trust, the public is turning to new sources that don't play by the same rules. Cheyenne Sardarizade is a journalist focusing on disinformation at BBC Monitoring. He ran a workshop on verification for the conference, demonstrating some of the tools he uses and testing our own techniques. He warns us about the rise of fakes and sophisticated deep fakes on social media, especially on TikTok, which the younger audiences use. It's another factor in the trust equation. There's a breakdown in trust, particularly in um, Western countries, um, between journalists and the public. And there are all sorts of reasons for it. It's a combination of the digital age, social media, um, probably journalists and news organizations not doing enough. Um, also the perceptions, how the perceptions of the public are formed, particularly on, on the internet. So I think that's, that is a huge problem because before the internet and social media um, became um, the drivers of news stories, everyone used to just watch television or read newspapers um, and that's how they got their news. Nowadays, people get their news online and sometimes the narratives that they see online are completely different to what is being reported on television or on newspapers or on news websites. For Hilary Scott, senior lecturer in journalism at the University of Northampton, the biggest challenge facing us is capturing the attention of young audiences. Times have changed, to put it bluntly. Young people don't see news around them in the way she or senior journalist did when they started out. At the same time, just having a social media presence isn't enough either. They need to think about who is currently not being served by the news and how to reach them effectively. I mean, we accuse politicians of kind of being in their own bubbles and journalists who work out of Westminster, you know, only being the only people that are interested in it. Um, we've got to kind of push that out to the regions a bit more and stop, you know, the sort of London-centric um, attitude to kind of information, which I think since COVID actually has got a lot better. I think you've got a lot more engagement in news organisations. What needs to be done then? Well, something. As Cheyenne Sardarizade explained in our conversation, there's a lot of talking, 
but not much doing. So one of the ways of dealing with that definitely is to employ younger, talented journalists who um, have expertise on using online platforms, who are creative, uh, who know how to build trust between themselves and members of the public using the internet. Um, that is something that I think many news organisations are still not paying enough attention to. The idea is there and everyone talks about it. But when it comes to actually seeking those types of people and employing them and enabling them to use the talents that they, they have and the things that they've learned by you know, basically growing up using the internet and then make that connection between their journalism and the public audiences, that's not happening at the rate it should. Saying we need to inject new and diverse talents into the media industry is all well and good. But often do people have trust issues when it comes to the news. So how on earth do you bring them into the industry? And how do you retain them if they don't feel supported by their management? That's the theme of the third key conversation we had with participants, resilient newsrooms. We know that the pandemic has been a serious strain on the mental health of journalists who were facing job insecurity, health concerns and isolation. The point here is how to keep our newsrooms efficient whilst being sensitive towards providing support and making sure these difficult scenarios we find ourselves in do not derail the goals of the newsroom. There is a bridge here to rebuild between management and reporters, we found. While the change of culture around mental health is certainly underway, John Crawley, co-founder of the Headline Network, said that examples of newsrooms having concrete policies in place for support are still exceptions rather than the rule. The importance of mental health is what Vicky Gell from the Bureau Local also believes should be a key takeaway of the conference. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that I learned really is how management need to respond to how staff are kind of um, digesting trauma on a day-to-day basis and how much that has changed. And I, I think it's really important that management and newsrooms kind of respond to... Um, mental health essentially amongst journalists and really take that seriously and so it should christina nicolotti squires from sky news explained during the panel how exposure of journalists to difficult images online and across social media is well changing the game that's also what kate heathman senior lecturer in journalism at liverpool john moore's university believes from my perspective It's preparing uh, young journalists to enter a workplace that is so different from the one I entered and the one that many of their senior managers will have entered and accepting that journalism and journalists are changing. And I think that's why some of the discussions we've had this morning around resilience and awareness and training and some of the other... I was also in a breakout room talking about verification that's not something that I had to do when I was first in a newsroom and now I think we have to tell young journalists don't trust everything. I think that's very unusual. So yeah, those are the, I think those are the two challenges that, as I can see it, but um, some fascinating discussions this morning. The pandemic also added further complications to the training of young journalists. As lockdown started in March 2020, many work experiences stopped, leaving young people without a way to gain experience learn essential skills or build a network. Projects like Press Bad Remote 
or Journalism Work Experience Initiative have provided much-needed support during the pandemic. Here's Steve Thompson, Senior Editor, Training and Development at REACH, talking about his learning from the pandemic. The first session on how we create resilient newsrooms really spoke to me, um, especially having gone through uh, two years of a pandemic. We have a lot of uh, young journalists, a lot of training journalists who are learning their craft and for the first time they're having to learn these skills from home. So resilience has been a real key challenge in our newsrooms. With traditional work experience schemes and internships coming back this summer, the issue of recruitment and training and retention of diverse trained journalists remains central. And the latest diversity figures released about the industry ought to be a wake-up call for newsrooms aiming to build resilience. According to the latest NCTJ diversity report, 80% of journalists had a parent in one of the three highest occupational groups, compared to 42% of all UK workers. And only 2% have a parent in the lowest two occupational groups compared to 20% of all UK workers. We just need to do better. That leads me into my own personal main key takeaway. Journalism students thrive when given good opportunity to show what they're made of. The team of journalism students and News Rewired helped out with these interviews, reported on the talks, and one even backed an internship. On this note, I wanted to finish with the words of one of the many educators who attended the conference, Kate Heathman from Liverpool John Moores University. What I'm really going to take away is everybody's Twitter handles and then I'm going to pester them to come and talk to my students. So my main takeaway is Twitter handles. <laughs> I'm getting people to come and talk to my students who are lovely. <laughs> so there you have it. Trust, ethics and data were all really at the centre of the conversation last time around and the discussion will continue next week on the 15th of November at Reuters HQ in London. Head to newsawide.com to grab your place while tickets last. What I see as the core theme coming up is that newsrooms need to capitalise on the many great opportunities to innovate and experiment. But that doesn't mean running headfirst into every new platform and product. What newsrooms need are A. Strong leadership B. To be selective and serious about which innovations are worth pursuing for their organisation and C. Not to do this at the expense of their team's mental health. If you can't make it on the day, hey, no worries. Follow along with the live blog on newsride.com and tag us on Twitter slash X on the day with your questions. We'll also have event coverage both on journalism.co.uk and newsride.com. As always, our podcast episodes are on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to get the latest episodes and keep an eye out for a very special Newsrewide episode coming up in collaboration with the Media Voices podcast team. Very much looking forward to that. But that's all from me this week, your usual host, Jacob Granger. Thanks ever so much for tuning in and hope to see you in London next week. Bye for now.